Good afternoon, everybody. It's a nasty, nasty little day here in the best little city in America. We're being battered to death by winds out of the northwest. I was like 50 miles an hour, shuttering the windows and blowing stuff all over the place. It's just, it's just ugly out there. Ugly, I tell you. Thank you for being here with us today, with me. I hope you're hunkered down somewhere, listening to the radio, streaming through KSO.com or on the new KSOO mobile app. Welcome to our friends also on Facebook Live, which you can do every day here. We go about an hour. Yesterday we went a little longer just because I let it roll. Sometimes we do that. That's the way we go here, man. It's just crazy. Nah, it's not that crazy. Uh, Uber producer Dan Peters is out today, so I'll be flying solo for the next two hours of lively conversation on news and politics, business and music, education and economics. We got a really wide variety of stuff to talk about today. Uh, you know, I think the first thing to talk about today is, of course, the big election that we've been talking about for quite a while. Um, but uh, before we get too much into that, we will be hitting that pretty regularly. I was, I don't know that I was surprised by uh, Doug Jones win uh, just because everything that happened, but early, early returns were, you know, hit, heading towards uh, Mr. Moore. And uh, then it turned later in the day. Um, I'll be sort of walking through some of that stuff a little bit later on what I think it means. Uh, but in other political news, uh, Al Franken's replacement was named today. It's Lieutenant Governor Tina Smith. Uh, Mark Dayton, the governor of Minnesota, made that pick. But that's just, you know, that seems normal, right? But then it gets kind of weird, kind of weird over there in Minnesota. And I did not know this until just today. Um, so the lieutenant governor, who is a Democrat, serving with Mark Dayton, she gets appointed to the Senate. When she leaves her job, the head of the state Senate, uh, step, the Senate, I believe it's the Senate Majority Leader. Isn't that who it is? Uh, anyway, the leader of the Senate, which is uh, Michelle Fishback, she is the Senate president. Um, she has to take that lieutenant governor job. Well, as it turns out, the Republic, she's a Republican because the Republicans control the Minnesota Senate. They have a one seat advantage in the Minnesota Senate, which means if Fishback has to go and be the lieutenant governor, then I believe the governor then gets to appoint a uh, replacement. So now they're fighting, which would be a Democrat, which would give control back to the Democrats, right? It's just nuts. So there's a lot of dominoes falling over there in Minnesota, and now they're fighting about it because Fishback uh, says that the Senate attorney, who's a nonpartisan, told her the state constitution allows her allows her to hold both jobs for the remainder of Dayton's term, which ends in January 2019, which then would allow the Republicans to maintain control of the Senate. So they're gonna that's gonna be going back and forth for a while. Uh, apparently, there are uh, there is precedent from the Minnesota State Supreme Court. In 1898, as well as two uh, examples of senators also serving as lieutenant governor in the 1920s and 1930s. However, the last two lieutenant governors to ascend from the Senate resigned their seats first. So it's gone both ways. Um, this, uh, so the, Fishback's been warned that seating as a senator 
could be challenged either through the courts or by our colleagues. It was it's likely then that the Minnesota Democrats would challenge her in court, which would be interesting as well. So uh, Dayton, the governor, has asked the Democratic Attorney General, Lori Swanson, for an official opinion because he doesn't think the Senate president can hold two jobs. So that's just crazy. Um, you, you know, these are the repercussions of Senator Al Franken leaving the Senate. So it's just uh, this. OK, Fishback, who is the president of the Senate, is an eight term senator uh, who very conservative. And she was upbeat in accepting the new role as lieutenant governor, but questioned whether she'd see eye to eye with a liberal governor. Asked if she'd support Dayton's agenda. Fishback deadpanned, I seriously doubt it. <laughs> so uh, Dayton apparently and the, uh, the, the Republican Senate Majority Leader, um, they, they knew that this was coming and uh, they, they were looking at all different kinds of options. So there's a, there's a lot going on. The other part of this that's very interesting is that Mark Dayton is 70 years old. He, as you recall, has undergone prostate cancer surgery in March, and he, uh, you know, fainted during the state of the state address uh, earlier this year in January. Um, You know, they said it was related to dehydration, not cancer. And he's also had several hip and back surgeries. Um, But he joked uh, yesterday or today about the possibility the Republican could take over as governor saying, I intend to be alive through the end of this term. But he acknowledged it could happen. He says it's a valid concern. Anything could happen to anybody. So there's just uh, all kinds of stuff going on. The uh, uh, the Republican Party chair, Jennifer uh, Carnahan, said it's an underhanded House of Cards style move. This is clearly an attempt to throw the Republican majority in the Minnesota Senate out of balance. This decision will ripple through the next legislative session. The move is as transparent as it is political. So it's uh, it's going to be nuts. Let's just say that it's it's uh, I'm very interested to see what happens there. Um, I imagine that. Well, I don't know what's going to happen. Think if they have to give up their majority in the Senate during the legislative term. Um, that could really cause problems in Minnesota. But letting the lieutenant governor hold two spots at the same time. Very nuts. Um, if something were to happen to Dayton, God forbid, then the lieutenant governor, who's Republican, would become governor. I mean, it's just one thing after another. Anyway, we've got a great show for you today. Our guests include Jody Schwan of Siouxfalls.Business. We'll talk about the latest in business and development in our city. Uh, Scott Hudson will be here for an extended episode of Weird Friends. That's because we have a lot to talk about. We'll hit on what to do if you need good music for your Christmas party or what have you, and you just can't take the traditional stuff anymore, can't take the Bing Crosby, can't take the Burl Ives, whatever. You need good music? Well, Scott's here to help. And the inductees for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame were announced today, I believe, and uh, we've got that list. We'll get Scott's, um, shall we say, pointed response reaction to that i'm happy let's just say that because dire straits is in and the regular listeners of this show know that i'm a big dire straits fan so that will be fun to watch but uh there's some others in there and some folks that didn't make it i think that's the bigger issue for mr hudson and we'll talk to him about that after the news at the bottom of the hour uh 
In the second hour, Vernon Brown and Catherine Deckinga of the Sioux Falls Public Schools Education Foundation will be here. This is an organization that raises money to award grants to teachers for creative educational projects. And there's a really cool one over Patrick Henry I saw, so they'll be in. Uh, involves a robot. Let's just get into that. Um, and I'll have the PL statement just after the next break. Today's topic, I mean, what else? Alabama. What does that really mean for the country and for us here in South Dakota? I'll give you my thoughts. That's all coming up after the break on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. 316 on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. We'll try and get just a little bit closer to free today here on the Patrick Lally Show. Uh, the PL statement is the time of day when I look through the day's news and reflect on a few and find something that uh, maybe gets my goat or causes me pain or great, you know, in the alternative, great joy. It happens. It happens. Uh, I was, if uh, you heard at the top of the hour, the tax bill deal, apparently they've come to an agreement to reconcile the. House and Senate versions of the tax bill. Um, everybody seems very happy about that. The Senate is being uh, briefed on it today. Uh, from what I can tell early on, uh, they've made a few small uh, changes to it, including um, allowing uh, people who pay local taxes and state taxes to deduct up to $10,000 in either property or income. So that is a bit of a, a fig leaf to the folks in some of the more higher tax states such as New York, California, uh, but even Iowa, places like that where uh, people pay income taxes and have been able to deduct those taxes off of the federal bill. So they're going to cap it at 10000 and allow either property or income. That's one of the things I saw. Um, they're, raising, they're dropping the corporate tax rate down to 21 and not 20 and putting it into place a year earlier in 2018. Stuff like that, stuff on the fringes. We'll see uh, if there's anything else more uh, substantive in there um, as it comes out. And also, you know, whether that's enough to get some of the Senate Republicans on board, we'll see. Um, also in the news, in the news, uh, this is interesting. President Trump announces intent to nominate Andrea Thompson to the Department of State. Andrea, if you may know her, she's a South Dakotan and she's a USD grad. She has uh, been nominated to be Under Secretary of State for Arms Control and International Security. That's a pretty good job. She's a former military officer, currently serves as special advisor in the policy Office of Policy Planning at the Department of State. Uh, that's according to the White House in a release today. Uh, previously, she was deputy assistant to the president and national security advisor to the vice president at the White House. Um, she's been coming up the ranks for quite a while. Um, uh, Andrea is not unknown to folks around here. She's been in the news and uh, she's gotten some of these big jobs. She has uh, more than 25 years of military service in the U.S. Army, including deployments to Afghanistan, Iraq, and Bosnia. She has served as National Security Advisor to the Homeland Security Committee, Executive Officer to the Undersecretary of the Army. I mean, it just goes on and on. Uh, she earned a B.A. in both journalism and Spanish at the University of South Dakota and a Master's in Science from Long Island University and an M.A. from National Defense University. That's all very cool for a South Dakotan, and we're 
quite proud of her. I, I believe she still needs confirmation by the Senate for that gig, but I'm not sure about that. Uh, let's see. Uh, the Fed rate, uh, they pumped up the interest rates uh, for the third time this year. Uh, they foresee three more in 2018. This is the ongoing effort by the Fed to bring interest rates back up to a normal position. They're still low. Um, but the Fed said Wednesday today that it's lifting its short-term rate by a modest quarter point to a still low range of 1.25% uh, to 1.5%. It's also continuing to shrink its bond portfolio. Together, the two steps could lead over time to higher loan rates for consumers and businesses and slightly better returns for savers. Of course, the interest rates have been uh, very, very low, almost zero at one point um, in the depths of the recession. And this is, uh, you know, the effort to prop up the economy during the when it was when it was very bad uh, and it's really been too low. Um, but we'll see how much more they go up. They're worried about inflation, of course. If you relieve in, uh, interest rates too low for too long, uh, you risk inflation. And sometimes inflation can get out of control and there's nothing you can do about it. So we'll see. Uh, but that's, that's good news for the economy. It means that the Fed has uh, uh, some optimism there. And it means that, uh, you know, slightly higher borrowing rates, but not, it's still very, very low. So it'll be interesting to see what they do next year. There's a new Fed chairman, uh, Jerome Powell, and uh, he takes over from Janet Yellen in February. And of course, uh, you know, you take a lot of hits when you're Fed chair, but uh, I think uh, Janet Yellen has done a good job. The Fed in general, I think, has been, you know, I'm no, uh, you know, fiscal policy expert, but they seem to be making good decisions on the inflation rate or on the interest rates to keep inflation in check. Uh, Alabama election. OK, let's get into this. All right. I don't want to go into too much, but my thoughts. So um, Doug Jones, the Democrat, defeated uh, Roy Moore, the Republican. I, I guess you shouldn't be too surprised by this. You know, with the president getting in late and the Republican National Committee coming back, um, it seemed as though Mr. Moore might be able to turn a corner there. But with all the stuff that had come out against him, uh, it it was a pretty pretty long haul. I, what does it mean for South Dakota? Probably not much other than you should always have, here's the lesson, always have the best possible candidate in place because you never know what will happen in a race. That's true for every party anywhere. Okay. But it's particularly true in South Dakota where, you know, they have, the Democrats have not always put the best uh, candidates in place, including in 2010, I believe it was when they ran nobody against John Thune. That was bad. And then sometimes they're just placeholder candidates that are just not going to cause any uh, money to be spent or any frustration for the incumbent. Is it a new age for Democrats in traditionally red states? No, no. This, that's, this is not indicative of a broader shift, I don't think. South Dakota, for instance, was dominated by Democrats at the federal level for two decades. Did that mean there was a fundamental shift in political nature of the electorate when, uh, when Dasha lost and, and uh, Johnson uh, eventually left the Senate? No. It meant the characters changed a bit and the sand shifted a bit, but not that much. I doubt this translates to a broad shift in Southern politics in particular. Is it a refutation of the Trump presidency? I don't think so. Republicans just stayed home 
in Alabama rather than vote for Roy Moore. If you look at the numbers, that's very clear. I think one of the numbers I saw was that uh, Doug Jones got almost as many votes as Hillary Clinton got in Alabama, but uh, Roy Moore got like a quarter of the votes that Trump got. I mean, just because the turnout was so much less. But the fact is that the Republicans who voted for Trump did not come out and vote for Roy Moore. Um, and they just stayed home or they wrote in 1.7% of the elect of the people who voted wrote in another candidate. So, you know, that's not terribly surprising. Moore was a terrible candidate. He was elevated to the general because of some, the missteps from mainline Republicans in Alabama and the national party. Yes. The president ultimately came down on Moore's side, but even he was not a supporter of Moore in the primary. So, he was a bad candidate for the Republicans from the get-go. What does it mean for Democrats in South Dakota? It means get your act together, identify issues that resonate with middle-class families in the population centers, Sioux Falls and the suburbs. Don't be smug liberals. Care about people and their challenges in South Dakota and don't try and nationalize everything. Uh, I think Doug Jones ran as an Alabaman. Obviously, he's pretty famous down there for prosecuting uh, the case against the bombers that killed four children in a church. All right. Or is it six? Anyway, he's done his due diligence. He's a he's an Alabaman and uh, he got a lucky break in some measure. But I think that Democrats in South Dakota, the party has often lost track of what issues matter to middle class families in South Dakota. That's my opinion. Um, what does it mean for all of us? The fact is Roy Moore almost won. That means that a significant number of Alabamans, of Americans in that state, were willing to cast a vote either for blind partisanship without regard to the person they were voting for, or they actually support Roy Moore's brand of region, religion exclusionism. That's not American. It's not in the spirit of the Constitution or the concept of liberty that is at the heart of the Constitution. Take all the allegations of sexual impropriety out of it, which are beyond disturbing. Roy Moore's history of trying to impose his personal brand of Christianity upon the people of Alabama and presumably upon us all as a member of the Senate disqualified him as a member of the world's greatest deliberative body. That's not conservatism. That's not even republicanism. It's religious zealotry at its worst. This is the U.S. Senate where ideas are supposed to be forwarded and debated upon their merits under the guidance of constitutional principles, not a battleground for theocracy. And so for me, that was a victory. Not because a Democrat won or a Republican. I, don't, I mean, I don't really care about party. I don't. But the degree to which Mr. Moore was willing to impose his personal brand of Christianity on the people of Alabama was disturbing to me. Um, there's a great interview that's making the rounds on the internets of a supporter of Mr. Moore's, a, one of his spokesperson and a, a uh, guy who's held office a few times. So he's taken the oath saying that Muslims shouldn't be able to serve in the Congress because they would not put their hand on the Bible and take the oath. Jake Tapper pointed out to him that you don't have to put your hand on the Bible. And he says, yes, you do. I did it three times. And Jake Tapper says, well, I'm sure you did, but that doesn't mean that everybody has to. You can, you don't have to have anything. And the guy said, it's the law. And Dick Tapper says, no, it's not. It's not the law. And the guy was just stunned. He had nothing to say because he honestly thought that the United States required people to put their hand on a Bible 
to take the oath of office. That says a lot. Agree or, de- agree or disagree with me, you can always email me, patrick at kso.com. I like to hear from you folks. Or follow us on Twitter at P. Lally Show. Coming up after the break, we're going to talk with Mr. Scott Hudson during Weird Friends. We're going to do two segments, all on music. It's going to be fun. Stay close. This is the Patrick Lally Show on Information 1000 KSOO. 335 on the Patrick Lally Show. Information 1000 KSOO. Replacements. Ledge, which can mean only one thing on the Patrick Valley Show. It's time for Scott Hudson on the Weird Friends segment. Of course, the Ledge being his theme song for the podcast. Mr. Hudson, thanks for joining us today. Hey, I feel like I'm doing my own show when you play that. <laughs> I know, it kind of freaks me out too, because like, <laughs> you, you play it a lot. So uh, It's a great song, though. Great song. The old story behind that was that... Uh, MTV wouldn't play the video, right? Yeah, exactly, because uh, the song is, is, is about suicide. Yeah, and so they didn't think that was appropriate. Right, um, right. Great Even though it was, not, it was not a pro-suicide thing, nobody yeah. would ever be that dumb. <laughs> not even Paul Westerberg. <laughs> At any rate, um, you know, here's the deal, uh, Scott. I, I need your help, as you know, okay. on a lot of different levels, but I need your help today because in this holiday season, Right. Uh, on the show here, we're, we're trying to get kind of He's a- changing the way radio listeners think. And it's a good thing. Buck Sexton, weekdays at 5 on Information 1000 KSOO. Feeding 342 wedding guests? Okay. What happened there? What happened there? I don't know exactly. Um, I thought I had that <laughs> taken care of, but I guess not. Um, you know, I, as it clearly... Clearly, this is a new show, right? Uh, so we'll take care of that. that was well we'll done. Put that there. <laughs> Thank you. I didn't panic. That's the important thing, right? Um, any huge. It is the holiday season, and uh, we uh, like to play some holiday music, right? Because you want people to be in the mood. But, right. But, I, you know, I'm not going to play any old Perry Como, you know? Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to Burl Ives. I, I can't do that, all right? So... I need music for the show, but I also thought it was a good time to say, look, there's actually some Christmas music out there that you can use at your party, your office gathering, what have you, that maybe won't bore everybody to tears. Exactly. I I have actually done a a Christmas live ledge every year for like seven years. You know, there's, there's plenty of good rock and roll Christmas songs, but the problem is, that for every John Lennon Happy Christmas, there are four or five Paul McCartney's Wonderful Christmas Time. <laughs> you have to be a discerning uh, yeah. music listener to get through all that, right? Right, but, but at some point, almost every artist has done a Christmas song or a Christmas album. Um, you know, Bob Dylan, he has a Christmas record of all people. You know? Really? How is that? Um, it's about what you would expect. Yeah. <laughs> It's not one of his greater moments. Uh, well, I won't. That that one won't be in my uh, my playlist then. No, but but in the whole, overall history of rock and roll, there's always been great, you know, Christmas. I mean, Elvis has a couple albums of Christmas songs. They were always great. Chuck Berry has you know a handful of songs, including "Run Rudolph Run," which which is fantastic. And 
The Phil Spector Christmas album is one of the greatest albums of all time, let alone Christmas time. Hmm. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it goes on and on. Every year there's more. I mean, there's a lot of crappy ones every year, too. I mean, who needs a Gwen Stefani Christmas record? <laughs> Come on now. And the problem <laughs> is that sometimes I think people try and, I mean, they try and make them, like, very traditional sounding, you know? Yeah, or, or the other thing is that they they try to make it sound like they're, they're pop hits, you know, like yeah. current production type things. The best thing that a band can do is either play it straight or just rev it up. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Just like make it, give it some power, have some fun with it. Yeah, exactly. So what do you, what's uh, some of your recommendations for this Christmas season, Scott? Well, I, um, there, I mean, there are a ton of compilation type things that have one-offs by, by various people. One thing that, one album that I like, I don't think I mentioned it to you earlier when we were talking about it, but Nick Lowe and Lost Straight Jackets made a Christmas record a couple years ago. Together? Now that's a, Yes. That's weird, because is this uh, Lost Straight Jackets has a, a record, right? That, uh, yeah, and the they, season? they have their own Christmas record, too. But and they, then they made one together. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. Uh, well, they, they toured us as a band for a little while. You're kidding me. Yeah. That would have been cool. Yeah, it would have been really, really cool. And they, and they actually put out an instrumental record of Nick Lowe music earlier this year. I mean, they're, they're kind of intertwined these days. That's interesting. Well, I saw um, Nick Lowe, he was solo, so he didn't have a band. I saw him open for Tom Petty. Oh, you're killing me. Killing yeah. me. <laughs> um, and also, uh, there's a band called The, uh, the Minus Five, which is uh, led by Scott McCoffey. He was in the Young Fresh Fellows. He was, a, he was one of the REM touring guitarists. This is kind of like a, an all-star band kind of thing where he's got people from REM and the Decemberists. And I, I think Jeff Tweedy may even be on it. That's pretty cool. What's that called again? Oh, I don't have the title written down, but it's all original songs. Um, they're not doing any covers. But yeah. one record that is covers, mm-hmm. primarily, not all, is the, believe it or not, Cheap Trick Christmas record that came out a couple weeks ago. Yeah, you were telling me that. I was shocked. And Yeah, and it's actually pretty interesting because, yeah, they do some covers, but then they take some of their own songs and turn them into Christmas songs. I think you have one of those. That's new. Is this a, so I have this song, Come On Christmas, and we're going we're gonna to try and play it for the people right now if I push it. There you go. <laughs> Live radio, folks. That's actually Brian Setzer, who we're going to talk about here in a second. Let's see if we can get oh. Chip Trick to play. Hold on. Here we go. There we go. So this is uh, Come On Christmas by Cheap Trick. It sounds like Cheap Trick, doesn't it? Yeah, it definitely does. It definitely does. But it's the Come On song. Um, is this a, so is this one of their old songs that they've converted to a Christmas song? Yeah. Oh, outstanding. Well, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's actually pretty good. And so it's a whole uh, record of, of uh, new stuff. And there's, I saw there's some other songs on there that are more traditional, but I picked that one out for good people. That's yeah, pretty that cool. Yeah, that kind of fun. That, yeah. would be, that would be a good party record, don't you think? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, and what else is on that? What else is out there that you like that is um, a, a guy who has kind of made a career out of Christmas in recent years is former Stray Cats leader Brian Setzer. Oh, yeah. He, now, he's got like... 
we I just accidentally played that one, but he's got uh, a a whole like live Christmas video thing too, doesn't he? Yeah, I mean he does. He, I don't know if he actually tours anymore or just does you know shows here and there, but that was kind of like a an annual tradition. He would, and he's got such a great guitar tone that for him to you know do those songs, yeah, actually sounds really really good. This song, okay, we're gonna listen to a little Brian Setzer, and this is. Uh, this is Jingle Bells, which is not the one I was originally going to play, but that's okay. Here we go. We'll see what this sounds like. See, there he's putting a little of his own, uh, you know, spin on the traditional song. Right. And that's the stuff I like, when they actually do something clever with it. He's got one that I really like that I was listening to earlier, uh, In the Mood for Christmas, which is based on the old In the Mood. Oh, nice. Yeah, and it's awesome because his band is so good. Yeah, yeah. And quite often he has a lot of special guests when he does that. And so you, you... You'll never know who will show up during his holiday review or whatever he calls yeah. it. Well, um, another re- another one, if for people that really wanted to shock their friends with something that any nobody would expect them to have, there is a group that calls themselves the Angry Snowmen. <laughs> and nobody knows who's in this band, but it's rumored to be a bunch of, you know, old punk rock, veteran punk rock guys. And they have like three, two, three, four records. Where, yeah, they just kind of dissemble traditional Christmas songs and put their own sense of humor in them. Well, that's pretty cool. So there you go. That's a pretty good list. I'll try and, uh, here's what I'm going to try and do. I'm trying to put some of this list up on our Twitter feed at P. Lally Show so people can see it. Because there's a lot in here. Obviously, we talk about uh, the Pogues every year and Fairy Tale. That's a good one. Yeah. Uh, the Ramones. Yeah, pretty much any, any genre. I mean, I was, when I was doing some research today, I ended up buying three or four things. <laughs> um, you know, rock, there's a rockabilly tribute to Christmas. There's a, you know, even riot girl, which is like angry punk rock women. Um, you know, there's blues and soul and, you know, every Motown artist has put out a Christmas record at some point. I mean, you, whatever style of music you like, you can find an interesting Christmas record. If you spend a little time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, either, even the smithereens and, uh, I, and yeah. com- coming out of the next commercial, which we're going to go to here real soon. We've got a very odd one, which I did not, I had to search a little bit for and I found it on your list. So we'll, we'll leave that as a little treat here in a minute. Okay. But uh, we're going to come back and talk about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductees today. And I know that this is oh, always, boy. this is always a, um, an interesting conversation with you. So we're going to have that coming yeah. out of the break. <laughs> this is, if we can get, if I can make this work, this is the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000, KSOO. Three forty-eight on the Patrick Lally Show. Information one thousand KSOO. And this is the Hoodoo Gurus, Little Drummer Boy. Ah. And we are back with Scott Hudson for Weird Friends. Yeah, this is uh, I did not know this existed. 
Yeah, this is one of those compilations I should have written down that's full of like alternative rock type Christmas songs. Yeah, this one had a really weird video with it too. Uh, they were on a started with them saying, "Hey, everybody, we're all here on beach somewhere." <laughs> <laughs> Very strange, but it's a cool song. It's kind of the the surf uh, surf version of of uh, Little Drummer Boy, so that's cool. Um, hey, the so the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame the the actual induction list was released today, right? It was today or yesterday. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was very happy to see uh, Dire Straits on there, of course, because I'm a huge Dire. Not that I care that much about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but you know, Dire Straits is awesome, so I was happy about that. Um, but the other, the rest of them, uh, I mean, there's some, you know, the Cars. Are in that, that yeah. probably makes sense. Bon Jovi, all right. I don't like Bon Jovi and never been a big fan or anything, but obviously he's he's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> the Moody Blues and Nina Simone. Um, what did you think of the class this year? Uh, well, okay. Let me put my little disclaimer here. <laughs> That's okay. I used to get I used to get really worked up about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Um, now I don't care anymore. It's a TV show. <laughs> uh, you know, because the first few years, it was really easy. You know, the first couple of years, it's all the 50s originators. Next couple of years after that, it's the British invasion, you know, and, you know, Dylan and Stones and people like that. Uh, but the problem is when you get into the 70s, that's when you start getting the, the, the divide between artistic greatness and commercial greatness. And... To me, I think quite often in recent years, they've forgotten completely the artistic greatness and gone just for commercial, which is why Bon Jovi's in. I, to me, Bon right. Jovi's worthless. <laughs> As an artist. As an artist. Um, but they were extremely successful. I, I, I kind of understand, but there's a lot of bands that still haven't made it that should be in. I mean, uh, the New York Dolls are not in yet. And they are one of the the most influential bands of all time. I mean, everything from metal to punk to pop music mm-hmm. to David Bowie is influenced by the New York Dolls. And did uh, have they ever even been nominated? Have they? Uh, uh, a few years ago, they were on that the, the the nomination list. I mean, it's weird how some of these. I mean, the replacements even made it on the nomination list one year, but you know, obviously they didn't make it. Yeah. Uh, you know, and there's a lot of Brit. There's an anti-British thing that goes on with this for some reason. Um, outside of the Clash and Pistols and Elvis Costello, there's really not much of that late '70s British era that was so great. Yes. Um, you know, there's no the Jam. Why aren't they in it? Yeah, they're huge. Yeah, they should be. And um, but but okay, but you asked about this year. I I think this year is very very mediocre. In terms Mediocre of the five first. people that made it in. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I just stated my opinion of Bon Jovi. Right. <laughs> um, the cars are borderline. Yeah. I love the cars, but they're kind of borderline. I, you know, they... Right. In you know, Tony Cornerzer likes to say it's not the rock... It's not the hall of very good. Yeah. Yeah. And I would put the cars in very... And I'll be honest with you, you're going to hate me for this. That's okay. I don't think Dire Straits has enough to qualify for the hall of fame i would say this in their defense okay i think that Knopfler is has had an artistic impression on the world of guitar playing 
You know what I mean? Yeah, for the yeah, guitar I mean, geeks sure. and that kind of thing. I mean, I love them, but I know what you're saying. Like, uh, yeah, I, I still think they're borderline. Yeah, yeah, they're I very mean, but good. I'm, you know, I'm not mad that they made it. No, man. I mean that's that's fine. But they're I, clearly I, I, the best of this group. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, I, you know, and I do understand the Moody Blues. I would never listen to the Moody Blues myself, but mm-hmm. they were they were a big deal in the late '60s, early '70s, and I, I think some of the stuff they did, you know, including orchestras into their sound Mm -hmm. but it was definitely artistically you know important so Mm -hmm. that's fine um as far as the other the actually the two best are the two people that no one's ever heard of and that is nina simone and sister rosetta tharp yeah i left Uh, uh, sister off there because uh rosetta what's her last name again i think it's pronounced tharp t-h-a-r-p-e uh, um, because she Elvis was an influencer or whatever it was. Yeah, Elvis basically copied her. Interesting. He's a male version of her. <laughs> Got it. And she was a great guitar player that influenced a lot of guitar players. And uh, Nina, Nina Simone was was a woman that did. She was really into the civil rights movement, and she did a lot of protest songs in the '60s. Cool. Uh, if you get a chance, go listen to her cover of the Beatles' "Revolution." Okay. You talk about turning a song into your own. That's what she does on that. Right on. I'll have to do that. So the bands, two of the bands that didn't make it uh, were on the list, didn't make it, Radiohead and MC5. I'm kind of surprised by both of those, to be honest. Uh, I mean, I think Radiohead is kind of that anti-British, you know, thing. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of people that hate Radiohead, but they were very, very, as far as the 90s band, and not many bands in the 90s were influential but radiohead was yeah whether you like them or not they they did they did a lot for changing how records were made yep. how records were sold and maybe that's why <laughs> yeah you know that sort of anti uh label kind of uh they were the first they band forged. to put a record up on the internet and and say name your price yeah that was cool i mean that was inf- um, that changed the world a little bit and the MC5 are kind of like the New York Dolls. There's no reason that they're not in. They they are a true influence. Every hard rock band is influenced by the MC5. Every political charge band is influenced by the MC5. Um, I always like to say that if it was just famous people like Bon Jovi, that's kind of like if the NF, if the if the football hall of fame only had quarterbacks. <laughs> that's right. You got to right. have some linemen on there too, and the MC5 were definitely. They're the big. They're cool. Scott, thanks a lot. I appreciate you being here today, and we'll talk to you again next week. All righty. This is the Patrick Lally Show on Information 1000 KSOO. 358 on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000. Coming up in the next hour, we're going to talk about uh, the Sioux Falls Education Foundation and business with Jody Schwann. That's coming up next. Remember Four oh five on the Patrick Lally Show, Information One Thousand KSOO, and uh, I'm happy to have in the studio this fine day, Mr. Vernon Brown and Ms. Catherine Deckinga. They are respectively the vice chair and the secretary of the Edu- Sioux Falls Public Schools Education Foundation. That's a mouthful. It is. It is. <laughs> Thanks for coming in, you guys. Absolutely. You're welcome. So, uh, you can choose who wants to answer this question. What? is the Sioux Falls Public Schools Education Foundation. We're a 501c3 that uh, raises money for 
grants to teachers doing innovative things in the classroom, things that taxpayer dollars wouldn't normally pay for. And we've been in existence giving out grants since 2008 and have given about $300,000 in that time. But we're going to up the ante, aren't we, Catherine? We're we gonna, are. We're going to improve that in the years ahead and, and get more innovation in the classroom via the teachers. So it's a foundation, which means you have an endowment. Is that true? And that's how you fund this? Or how do you f- get the money? It is true. We do have an endowment. However, most of our donations come from local businesses and uh, people in the community. So somebody just says, I want to help the schools. Uh, here's some money. Go do cool stuff. Yeah. That's essentially Usually it. Usually requires us asking. Yeah, okay. <laughs> a lot of <laughs> Nicely. <asks. laughs> they don't show up at the door. Is that how that works? Sometimes they do, though. You know, retired teachers are very generous, and we've started to see some progress there in uh, them remembering us in their estates and uh, giving even while they're still with us, and it's been a, a nice pattern to see go- come along. You said since 2008 you've been yes. giving the grants, so that's when the organization got together. How, how did how did that happen? I mean, where did it come from? Do you know the history, Catherine? Yeah. I know a little bit of it. A little bit. I, I believe it actually started earlier than that. We started giving these grants in early 2000s, but I think it's been around since 1990s. Okay. Oh, wow. And just very small um, organization at that point in time, just handing out small amounts of money and then slowly in, in grants, and then we've been able to build over time. You say it's cool things, but it's also... Need-based things, too, yeah. yes. So, such as, give me some more examples of what you're doing. There's another great example of we give brand-new teachers, teachers who have never been in the classroom, $200 a year, which doesn't sound like a lot, but when they have to buy mm-hmm. all the things for their room, uh, which is always ironic to me, teachers who we don't pay well in this state have to supply their rooms. And so the foundation also gives them uh, a check to help them outfit that room in that first year. Every new teacher? Every brand new teacher. In so Sioux last Falls. year, I think it was around 60. Yes. Some years it's up around 80 uh, in the Sioux Falls School District. Oh, that's pretty cool. How much is in the endowment? I mean, is this... <laughs> I don't know. know. But, so the <laughs> Did you endow- see the fear look on our face? <laughs> does it pro- but does the endowment produce enough money so that you don't have to take some of the donations? Does it all just go in the endowment and then you live, you, you do these uh, contributions off the... Uh, Earnings? Is that right? We're not at a point where the endowment can fund uh, because this last year we gave, for example, $40,000 away in grants. The The most expensive one was about $7,500. Um, but that's our goal long term is to grow that endowment. Today it's really about cash in, cash out. Going out to businesses, asking them how much do you value the public school system? Would you like to contribute? It, it's generally a pretty easy ask. It is, yes. Do you want to help kids? Yes. <laughs> That's always helpful. It's all for the kids. That's right. right. Do you want to help kids? Do you want to help teachers? Education. We're here with uh, Vernon Brown and Catherine Deckinga. They are members of the board of the Sioux Falls Public Schools Education Foundation. Um, what does it say about us that we actually do have to raise private money to help teachers pay for cool stuff? Well, it says that teachers are doing some pretty amazing things and have some great ideas. And that, that you know what, sometimes it, it is not able to be covered by tax dollars, but there's some great people out there that want to help. Yeah. And the thing that I saw that caught my attention and got me interested in this uh, was the story about this robot at Patrick Henry. Um, and you have seen the robot this year. He's named Juan Pablo. Yes. Tell us about the <laughs> robot. 
he he's a Patrick Henry. He's about two feet tall, about ten pounds, and full of personality. And the personality comes from kids doing the programming to make this robot work. And uh, the teacher, Jason Whiting, would tell you the, the kids know more about how to do the programming of this robot than he does. He just guides them, mm -hmm. uh, makes sure that the robot's doing appropriate things. And it's he can't even tell you where this is going to go over the next few years. And that's one of the beauty of these grants is it's not just one and done. When we pay for something like this, uh, the robot was about $8,500. I think we contributed as a foundation $7,500. Mm -hmm. yep. But this will affect students for multiple years. And that's one of the key things in the grants. We look for things that last beyond that. We estimate that, that over the course, over the last 9, 10 years, 28,000 students have been affected by the grants that we give because it goes more than one year in what the teachers are doing. That's amazing. Uh, Juan Pablo um, and uh, is a humanoid robot capable of walking around, talking 15 languages. Yeah. That in and of itself is kind of amazing. It moves its arms and hands and even recognizes faces. I mean, it, is it kind of creepy? <laughs> it, you know, it, it's really neat to watch. It, uh, when we saw it, it was at a breakfast, and the robot kept looking around trying to find Jason's face. Oh, and wow. so you could tell it was scanning the room. It was scanning different faces, waiting for him so that it could get direction on what to do next from him. Wow. And it was it's really neat, and it, it'll be fun to see where the kids take it. So Jason Whiting, he teaches information and communication technology and career and technical education at Patrick Henry Middle School. So these, these kids are, uh, obviously, they're not high school kids. They're young kids, and they're learning to program this thing. That's really cool. They are. He also has an after-school program, programming or coding camp and club that he teaches after school. Juan's really kind of like a pet. He's not creepy. No, <laughs> yeah. I think he could be a little friend. <laughs> That's pretty cool. And they ne then the kids rename this robot every year. That's the other kind of cool thing about it. So yes. it, they give it its personality. Yeah. yeah. They get attached to it. I want one. Yeah, I do, too. <laughs> after seeing it. After seeing it. Yep. <laughs> That's really cool. So this, this robot was purchased with uh, $7,500 and some other money from the foundation. Um, that's, that's a pretty innovative uh, idea to come to you guys. And the teachers come to you with these things sometimes? They apply. Mm -hmm. It's competitive. We are only able to fill about 40% of uh, the applications we get. And so that demonstrates the need out there. And it's not for bad ideas that we're not giving... Yep. Uh, fulfilling all the requests. Um, we just don't have enough funds to fill all the innovative ideas teachers come up with. So if I want to get involved with the foundation or I want to give you all my cash, how do I, <laughs> how do, I do that? Well, uh, funny I should ask. Funny, funny you should ask. <laughs> Online, we have a website, Sioux Falls Education Foundation.org. Mm -hmm. You can go there and there is a donate tab. And there's a, all of our information is on there, our address, P.O. Box, how to get in touch with us. Also, you can contact the Sioux Falls Fo Area Foundation, okay. and they have an endowment there. Outstanding. Uh, well, Vernon Brown and uh, Catherine Deckinga, thank you very much for coming in and telling us all about the Sioux Falls Public Schools Education Foundation. And we look forward to hearing what you're going to do next. Very good. We'll, we'll come back anytime. We Outsta will. Thank outstanding. You. We'll just have a, a standing, uh, or, you know, standing meeting. Does that sound good? That sounds great. Bring Juan next time. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Bring Juan. That would be outstanding. Uh, coming up after the break, we're going to talk with Jody Schwan from Sioux Falls.Business about uh, business, development, retail, restaurants, all of the good stuff. 
makes it great to live here in the best little city in America. This is the Patrick Lally Show on Information 1000 KSOO. Four, 416 on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. And as we like to do from time to time, we've asked uh, Jody Schwan from SiouxFalls.Business to come into the studio and update us on all the latest comings, goings, doings, breakings, and all that. Jody, thanks for being here. You know, when you asked me to be on this day, and I looked at the calendar, oddly enough, there was nothing on it. Yep. And sure enough, as news goes and this time of year goes, it got packed. And before long, I knew it, you know, tons of news happening and lots of things to share with you. So it's you're like, here we go. oh, I gotta go. This has been a busy month. We are coming off a, a really busy month in November, which typically in business is the case. You know, construction's wrapping up. Everybody wants to be open before holiday. There's lots to see. And I always expect it to slow down a little in December because usually it does. And not the case this year. I mean, we had a number of new openings already this week. I'm touring another project tomorrow. We're reporting a Another opening on Friday. So, I mean, it's just not slowing down at all. So, uh, the big news downtown I saw before we get too far, Blarney Stone, right? I know. It's I mean, open. Why didn't we take the show on the road and broadcast from there? You know, back in the old it. days, we used to do that. We did, and it was, you know, an that was audience fun. hit. People love it. Yes, so, I think. I and think, I, I think you and I are going to have our, our share of meetings outings yes blarney stone um really nice job that they have done with what is partially the former touch of europe space at 12th and phillips and then they extended north on phillips into multiple other storefronts and have done such a good job converting that to this irish pub and restaurant and it's a pub first and a restaurant second as they reminded me you know it's important distinction to make but it's a big menu too. get great reviews on the food they also are going to have a weekend brunch important to know though it's 21 and older so Mm -hmm. um, it is a bar first they've done a great job with the lower level which i know a lot of people are anxious to check out i think they're smart in not opening the entire place right away because sioux falls loves a new restaurant sioux falls really loves a new irish pub i think And they're going to be jammed. So once they sort of get the hang of it operationally, then the, the plan is to open that lower level, which has a lot of character. Really, really cool. Yeah, so the bottom's not open yet, just right. the top? Right. Okay. I mean, maybe by this weekend they might, you know, find oh. that they have to overflow into that lower level. And, and I think they'll probably try it throughout the holidays. But staffing's always an issue, too. You know, yeah. I mean, and they need a lot of people. Uh, they feel good about where they're at. But come January, they're probably going to hire about 20 more. So... Blarney Stone, incidentally, is uh, headquartered out of North Dakota. They have two locations up there. They've got one historic downtown location, like the Sioux Falls one, and then they've got another that's in a newer building. So uh, we've seen some North Dakota concepts have success in Sioux Falls. J.L. Beers, right? Exactly. Their neighbor, J.L. Beers. Uh, I think this one will, too. It's it's big. I mean, you said it was the old touch of Europe, but it was also then two more storefronts. Yep. And when I walk by it, I think... That's a big joint. They don't have a patio to speak of. So what they did was design their windows along Phillips Avenue so that they can open all the way up and create that indoor-outdoor feel once it's nicer. There are really distinctive spaces within there, and it's designed for larger groups. So as I was walking through, you don't find very many tables of two or even four. You know, it's designed, I think, to be that after-work outing, that, you know, place that you go with a bunch of friends and... 
it's going to be uh, pretty popular. And it's also, uh, that's going to further enhance that block of Phillips's really entertainment-y and restaurant-y. Yeah, it's really been revitalized, that whole south end of downtown. So a couple of other developments underway. Obviously, Washington Square, can't miss it, uh, coming along really well. More on that in the days ahead, but... Um, everything is progressing nicely. First uh, folks to move in there will actually be offices, followed by some of the condo owners, and then retail will, will finish at the end. They still have some space available there. And then Josiah's is moving to that same block, um, right alongside, actually around the corner from Blarney Stone. Really cool spot. Yeah, they'll do a great job, I have no doubt, uh, transforming what's known as the Auburn Nash Building, which was uh, the old Eggy Transmission. Yeah, I've shop. never known it as anything other than Eggy Transmission. Yeah, apparently, it's the Auburn Nash Building, and it's actually going to be bigger than owner Steve Hildebrandt originally planned. He, you know, they really, had, yeah, he he leased one space, and then they were going to lease the uh, remaining space to an office, and he decided that he wanted to, to take that whole space. So um, that's going to allow him to create what I think he's calling the Phillips Gathering Place, which is, a again, a space for groups to meet. And, you know, a lot of a lot of groups use Josiah's for that already. So I think he's smart to capitalize yeah. on that market that already exists. I'm excited to see what he does with his menu. He's going to broaden that even more. It does put them a little bit behind um, when they thought they would open. So... Now they're looking at a February opening. But yeah, I mean, the concentration of activity in that block um, is hard to miss. And then, of course, you go a little bit further north and you hit 10th and Phillips and there's all kinds of other development coming. I don't think the parking ramp project had been announced the last time I talked no, to you. No, um, that's we been right quite the, that. it's been quite the to-do. <laughs> I'm I don't sure know you've if you've had many conversations about it since yes, I've been uh, on the program. But, many, many. Uh-huh. And, you know, Lewis Drug, um, Sanford and Pave. Yep. Uh, I, Drive by that, walk by that all the time. and That's going to be uh, really transformational in that whole area because that's a lot of building going in on at 10th and Phillips and 10th the, and 1st. And mm -hmm. just it's just going to change that corridor. Yeah, I mean, get ready for lots of construction activity downtown next year. You've got that corner and then you keep going a little bit further north and you hit Equity Square, which still has build outs going on. And then the historic Great Western building, which is going to be transformed into a boutique hotel. So yeah. um, really just, you know, every block, there's a major project happening. And not a lot of communities can say that in their downtown. doesn't even take into account what's going to be happening to the north, up, uptown. And hopefully we get some uh, development moving on the rail yard relocation site. So well, they uh, covered up the tracks. So. Yeah. On the street, that was big. The city has uh, has control of that site now, and you're going to see those crossings come out and site prep begin and construction get going full steam in the spring. So uh, I know the city's hoping to, to release some details of a proposal. It's been taking some time. I, I have not heard any sign that we're going to get that before the end of the year. I think that was the hope, but I, I don't know that that's going to happen. So hopefully early next year, because we're getting near the end of the year. It's kind of hard to believe, but there's not too much time left. So they're, they're slowly taking out the tracks, but they won't completely take out all the tracks until somebody has a, a deal on the table, right? Right, because some work? of those involve the property that's, yeah. Yeah. Um, in conversation, I, the biggest thing that needs to happen next, as I understand it, is the city needs to secure a federal designation to declare the area a whistle-free zone, um, because that is what is going to uh, help some of the, the development get locked in. 
So what do you got to do to get one of those? Quiet zone is what it's more commonly referred to, but I guess it's called a whistle-free zone. I suspect it's a lot of federal paperwork. I'm told it's <laughs> not that difficult to get, but it's you know it's a federal process, so you have to work through the steps. But yeah. So well, that's, that's just that's so it, so they won't hit the big horn when they're coming through. That's yeah. all that. So means. you know, like if you wanted to put a hotel there, maybe yeah. you wouldn't have some yeah. horns well, blaring through or residential. I don't know how much residential will ultimately go there, but I think maybe it's been part of the conversation on a couple of those projects. I'm sure the existing hotels won't find that will will appreciate a a quiet quieter zone. Yeah, the hotel market downtown obviously in general is changing a lot. Yep. Um the Hotel Phillips, the independent boutique hotel um, with about 90 rooms, is scheduled to come online about a year from now. And then the following year, or maybe even 2020, I think it might be 2020, um, for the hotel connected to the parking ramp. Because you have to build the whole parking ramp first mm-hmm. and then do the rest of it. So That's a long, long it's project. It's a process. And, yeah. you know, again, you never know what you're going to find when you start digging in that area of the city happened before the um yeah the the cascade is you know run into not unexpected but there's remediation that had to be done so that project the cascade is down on phillips north phillips Mm -hmm. right that's the one you were talking about between second and third third. they've started they have yep and actually um their project allowed uh, the levitt shell to get started a little sooner than expected because lloyd companies donated the fill um from the site to levitt so they Mm -hmm. were able to start their groundwork earlier than they planned so uh you know that's another 18-month project i want to say um mixed-use project nice apartment community plan there and some good mixed use they're hoping to find a nice signature restaurant for the corner of their building nobody yet though there is a lot going on down there there's Mm -hmm. still a corner of the apartment building just up the road there open a little retail spot. So maybe this will help everybody down there. Uh, and 421 Jones. Or four, yeah, 420, or actually, that space is actually leased. I just can't talk about it yet. Oh. It took a while. but okay. um, And it's not going to be retail, but it's kind of cool. So hopefully we can talk about it soon. But yeah, it took a long time to get leased. And there's going to be more, um, you know, there, there's vacancy always downtown. I mean, it, yep. there, That's there's the always transitional vacancy. But I'm I'm hoping that first of the year doesn't bring too much bad news. I mean, I, I'm not a naysayer like that necessarily, but there have been some downtown businesses struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we announced Unglued was closing, um, but, you know, they had originally planned to be open a little bit more into 2018, and then uh, somebody came forward interested in their space. And so, you know, that, that's good. I don't, I don't know. We'll see vacancy there it's for very space. long. It's a good space. It's a nice space yeah. uh, right in the heart of Phillips Avenue. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, we're going to come right back after the news and weather with Jody Schwan from SiouxFalls.Business and talk, oh, geez, we got a lot of topics to hit, so stay tuned. This is the Patrick Lally Show on Information 1000 KSOO. 433 on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. We're continuing our conversation here with Jody Schwan of SiouxFalls.Business as we like to do from dime to dime. Jody, uh, you're giving away some stuff. This is this is new for you, right? You're going to give yeah, away a bunch I'm of stuff. Pretty excited about this. This is, you know, I have an idea, and as you know, sometimes I just go with it. So, um, here's the deal: we actually today are marking nine months in business. It was nine months ago that we launched Sioux Falls Dot Business, and you know, I have never really marketed it. Um, never paid for digital 
advertising or anything. And we've been so fortunate that people have liked it and shared it and told other people about it. But, you know, you have to market at some point. So I started to think about what do we do to try to get the word out a little bit more about who we are and, and what this is all about. So I was going to do a little advertising campaign. And the more I thought about it, the more what I really wanted to do was support my fellow downtown businesses. You know, we have an office in the Carpenter Building. And uh, I know that many of the downtown retailers really depend on holiday shopping and could use a little boost this season. So uh, earlier this week, friend and I uh, hit a bunch of stores and uh, I picked out some things I liked at half a dozen downtown businesses, uh, made a couple videos about it. First one will go online tomorrow and you will have a chance to win the things that I bought. So it's a thank you to our readers. Uh, hopefully it helps get the word out a little bit more about what we do, but more importantly, encourage people to come downtown and support our fellow businesses. So uh, it was a lot of fun. I'm really excited to share what I found and some great gift ideas, I think, and good prizes for some people. So You're not um, going to tell us what they are, are they? Uh, talk a little bit about. Well, I thought you were going to make me go. You should make me go and watch the video. That's um, what I'm saying. There are some things that you might even enter to win. Really? Let me just say that. I really, I tried to be very broad in the, you know, the demographics that this thing could have. Now, to, now you do so, have my interest. Right. So how do I do this? How okay, do I win? So follow. This is a pretty much Facebook only giveaway. Um, so you got to go to our page. Sioux Falls business on Facebook. If you start in typing Sioux Falls business news, we're going to pop up. Has a little logo. It's got my name on it. So um, go ahead and like the page, follow the page. And most importantly, you can go in there and set it to see follow first. If you put the little indicator that says follow first, that means when you pull up your Facebook feed, you will see our posts first. You can turn that off at any point if it gets annoying. I can tell you we don't post too much. But this way you'll make sure that you see mm -hmm. the videos and you can win these items by commenting uh, in the video with what you'd like and sharing the post. So that's the plan. The videos will go online Thursday and Friday. My hope is that you see some things you're interested in. You share a little bit about our page with your friends on Facebook. And then this weekend, you get downtown and give these businesses some support and wrap up your holiday shopping there because weather's going to be good. No excuses there. And this is, is this the, no, yes, this is like well, the last kind of big is. weekend. Yeah, I mean, they, everybody's expecting this is going to be the biggest weekend push for holiday shopping just because of how the holiday falls. Yeah. So. It's so uh, amazing how important these last couple of weekends are. And having good weather makes a huge difference. It does. And, you know, there's plenty of places to park. Um, you really don't even have to walk that far, especially nights and weekends. There's parking everywhere downtown. It's so, free. Yeah, and it's free. Just free parking after 5 o'clock and every weekend in all the ramps, in all the spots. There's great places to eat, grab a drink. I'm not saying you're going to get a seat at Blarney Stone, but maybe, you know, <laughs> you can try. <laughs> you can at least look at it. So, um, uh, yeah, yeah <laughs> look, look pensively through the windows. Right? Hi. I'll be back in February. It's <laughs> <laughs> kind that, of my deal. That would be awesome. I've, Mackenzie River, same thing. I'm expecting a very similar crush to what Mackenzie River experienced, and I stayed out of there for yeah. a good I can 60 go there days. Now. I yeah. can go there now, but yeah. We're talking with Jody Schwan. She is the founder of SiouxFalls.Business, and she's got a big contest coming up Thursday and Friday, so you're going to want to follow her Facebook page. But there is other news. Uh, the one thing I was reading on your page uh, yesterday, I think, was the bar, what is this, barcade? Barcade. Barcade in Harrisburg. Barcade in Harrisburg. Okay, so you know how earlier in the program we talked about Blarney Stone being a bar first and then a restaurant. 
Uh, 81 is what it's called, is an arcade first and then a bar. But we call this a barcade. It's a trend nationwide. And many of them actually do lean a little more heavily toward the bar side. Mm -hmm. And they add a few classic video games. Well, uh, not this one. So the owner of 81 is a video game collector. Uh, He had lots of success in the web development and IT software space um, out of state. Worked for some really big names like... Starbucks and Microsoft and uh, and moved here. Then he moved back. He's from the area originally and graduated, I believe, from Lenox High School. So uh, now he's living in Centerville and decided to wait a minute. He's living in Centerville. Yep. All right. It's a lovely Um, town. Right. And he's opening his business in Harrisburg, which is great. And he needed a home for all these video games because I believe he has more than 50 video games. Um, Ranging, there, I think there's like a 70 or um, a 20 year from the 70s to the 90s. No, he's got newer ones. He's got a lot of them, 50 some video games. Anyway, uh, classic, modern, some of them play on HD, uh, appealing to all ages, men and women. And 81 is the year he was born. Uh-huh. So I think it's cool. It's big, 4,000 square feet. And Usually you can tell right away in my world um, when we run a story, post it and share it. When it really takes off, you just know that the business is going to be popular once it's open. And wow, was Harrisburg excited about the barcade. So I've never said this before in my life. Where in Harrisburg is it? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Harrisburg's getting big enough now that you have to actually Uh, ask that question. Harrisburg has kind of a main commercial corner, Cliff and Mm -hmm. Willow. And uh, this is on Cliff. It's really not far from the new fairway. Um, if you head south of Sioux Falls on Cliff Avenue, you're going to run into it. It's a retail center that includes a boutique uh, called Glamour Define that opened there earlier this year. This one started as an online boutique and then went brick and mortar. Um, and I'm trying to think of other businesses in that center. Well, the fairway just opened, right? The fairway just opened last week. How many fairways do we have now? We have three in the Sioux Falls area now. So we have uh, two in Sioux Falls, one in Harrisburg. They're looking for more sites. And Harrisburg in general has just enjoyed, well, first, you know, a great population growth. And with that then comes new retail and new services. Mm -hmm. So I know a grocery store has been on the wish list for a long time. They're very excited to have Fairway there. And then to see the the retail filling in with the, there are a couple boutiques in Harrisburg now. And then the entertainment with the barcade Mm -hmm. and um, Air Madness that opened earlier this year, the big indoor trampoline park. Well, it's basically in the next, what, five years maybe? going to fill in there's not much i mean it pretty much has and yeah, yeah it's not there's houses out there long. everywhere there's just not it's not right. dense yet you know a lot of people um on the development side of things we're waiting for minnesota avenue to get fully expanded mm-hmm. because you don't want to go in there and open up a business and then have construction shut it down and, and that's coming here within the next couple of years i believe cliff same you know has really been pretty urbanized um and Importantly, now the 85th Street connection between Cliff and Minnesota yes. has been done. And so that further develops that area to the far south of Sioux Falls and just naturally pushes things toward Harrisburg. Wow. We're going to come right back and talk more with Jody Schwan from Business, And uh, we've got a couple more topics. Highway 100, which is a big dang deal we haven't talked about yet, and uh, some other openings and such. So stay with us. This is the Patrick Lally Show on Information 1000 KSOO. 444 on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000, KSOO. And we're finishing up here with Jody Schwan of Sioux Falls Business. We've, oh, we've covered a lot of ground in a very short time, Jody, as we always do. 
if you're just tuning in, you missed a lot. So yeah, so you'll, you'll have pull to pull up that podcast. Yeah, go back to the podcast and listen. Follow on Facebook. Jody will share it. I'll share it. Of course, usually what happens though when you're on the show, there's some sort of technical glitch, and I can't get it. <laughs> I can't get the sound. So we'll see how. And well I always it. just buy it. I believe it. So. I, well, it's true. <laughs> it's true. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Somebody is thwarting your efforts here. Um, uh, Highway 100. So. They, I drove down that the other day, the, the extension, I had not done this from Arrowhead Parkway, basically 10th street to, uh, North all the way to Rice. Right. Yeah. I'm such a geek. I love driving a new road too. (laughs) It was cool. Uh, it is. And you know, it's about so much more than a road. And we ran a piece early this week that just took off great, which was fun to see on the fact, and, and we're the first to report this, which I'm kind of surprised about, too, because it's not even that new news. It happened within the last couple months. But um, first of all, this connection that you talked about is done. So um, it is Highway 100 from Maple to Rice. And the next step is going to be to get from Rice to I-90. And that is the project that just was bid through the state. The single largest highway project in state history? $55 million. Wow. Um, and fortunately, it came in just under, about 500000 under. So uh, that can move forward. And it's a monster of a project, like you said. It involves five separate bridges. Uh, lots of crossings. Well, it goes right through the river valley there. It goes through the river and it goes across uh, railroad property. So there are, are a lot of crossings that need to be constructed. And the interchange itself won't even start until 2019. Um, all of the work leading up to that from Rice going north will happen next year. But the fact that we now have a target completion date in 2020 um really gives a lot of people confidence, I think, in pursuing development in that area. And it's going to be interesting to see what comes together. I mean, this stuff, first of all, this road project was envisioned more than a decade ago. So none of this happens quickly. And development's the same way. The Dolly Farm development has really pioneered out on the east side and done well. There are new additions coming out there. Buffalo Wild Wings, the long-requested restaurant for the east side, uh, should be open probably, I'm guessing, by maybe mid-year, certainly before football season. I know that would be the goal next year. But um, what they're still missing is that same influx of traffic that you get out at the mall, where all of our out-of-state traffic, much of it anyway, still tends to end up. And this connection to 90 will make it so much more convenient for the drivers from Uh, Minnesota and from Brandon, Garrison, Northwest um, Iowa, Northwest Iowa to do their shopping in Sioux Falls or to go out to eat in Sioux Falls. So um, I think there's lots of optimism there. I think you'll see more office develop, hopefully some hotel. Um, What the east side also is lacking is that daytime working population. So when I get asked why aren't there more restaurants on the east side, they're always so busy. The people who are asking me that typically live out there and they see the restaurants busy at night when they go out to dinner. Right. What they don't see is the lunch, which mm-hmm. can be a challenge. So the more people we get visiting and working on the east side, um, the more retail and other type of service uses that will follow. But uh, lots of big developments planned, really starting from around Menards, um, going north to Rice Street. You can see how it is when you drive that road how it's basically just built for development. It's it's impressive. Yeah, I think you'll see a little bit of maybe a light industrial up there eventually, um, but residential too. I mean, residential is maxed out to the south. It's really hard to build south 
and it's getting there on the west side. And when you add in the topography, which is really pretty on the east it's side. Wonderful. Yeah, and really fairly convenient access um, to the center part of Sioux Falls. I think you're going to see more people wanting to live there. We're already seeing that yeah. in southeast Sioux Falls, and I think well, it's just going to push further north. Yep, and if you drive Rice Street to Brandon, you'll see it's already, we talked about Harrisburg filling in. Oh my gosh, there's houses and apartment buildings and office buildings and everything else going in out there. I remember years ago, the projection was that Sioux Falls and Brandon would actually connect first. Yeah. And then Sioux Falls and Harrisburg, and, and that could certainly happen. What, yeah, and what constitutes actually coming together? Because there's so many houses out there. But it is it is yeah. beautiful land. It, you know, Basically, you, oh, it's when you go from Sioux Falls city limits directly to yeah, the next community. Yeah. So it's limits. an annexation yeah. issue, I understand yep. now. Um, that's, that's a really cool project. What's the latest on, uh, we haven't talked about, um, well, the new Lewis. Yeah, we haven't talked about that. Yeah, I was just in that. there last night. Um, major move for them here in the heart of the holiday season, a very choreographed move. So they essentially went just a few blocks north on Minnesota. So the Lewis at 41st in Minnesota moved to a new building at 37th in Minnesota. That they built. Yep. They shut down at seven o'clock last night. They reopened at eight o'clock this morning and ready to go. It's a nice store. It's a bit smaller, but the layout is very user-friendly. You literally come right in the door. They've got everything you need there. You can grab lots of uh, essential items, check out quickly and be on your way. And that convenience is really where it's at in retail. So it reflects a good understanding of that. And they got a lot more building coming. I mean, they've got the downtown store, which we mentioned. Yeah. Um, I'm going to put that one at late spring, maybe early summer, just based on where they're at today. And then 41st and Ellis, which is also going to open next year. Oh, that's right. Busy year for them. They uh, have gone over 50 locations, Lewis has. It's amazing to me, being a a native. You're a Lewis guy. I have a Lewis guy. I just... When I need that stuff, I think Lewis. And uh, just like I think Ace Hardware, it's it's nothing against any other places, but that's just where I go. So it's been fun to watch Lewis sort of uh, reinvigorate going downtown and everything else. It's, it's really cool. I look forward to that store opening. Um, quick update on Foundation Park. What's going on out there? That was a big dang deal. Uh, when was that? Two years ago, maybe now when it was all announced? Is that When they acquired the land, yeah, yeah, 800 acres, which opens up lots of development opportunities. So their first business, Windchill, which is the big uh, warehousing and distribution center, they actually took out their permit for the building today. So that's a great sign that they're moving forward. We knew they were, of course. but How big a project um, is that Windchill place? I want to say that it's one's pushing up against $30 million maybe. It's been a while since I reported on it. Um, but they're going to open in spring, so on track for that. And it's a, a really important piece to get that park moving. You know, a lot of businesses are reluctant to be the first. And when you can say that uh, we've already got this user and not only um, is it a quality business itself, but it's there to provide warehousing, logistics, distribution, potentially to other businesses in the park, that goes a long way. The fact that they have real access, that they are now certified by BNSF, pretty soon they'll be certified by Excel, oh, really? uh, working with the state for site-ready certification. So all of these are sort of stamps of approval for new businesses um, to make them more confident in coming to town. The other important piece here is the range of sites that the Development Foundation is now able to offer. So from the big ones, like 40 acres, down to five or eight acres um, with rail access. That's impressive. Which is key. Yeah. Um, They're seeing good activity. They're seeing a lot of interest. They have more proposals out today than they did a year ago, which is obviously a good sign. 
But, you know, when you talk about businesses that have a national or even multinational presence, they don't move quick either. So hopefully we'll have some more announcements. There's one that I think might be close. Um, Windshell, incidentally, is a $40 million Jeez, project. Big. So, yeah. So how's your, what's your just general sense of things these days? We're coming in, uh, obviously, we're almost to the end of the year. Um, there's always a big push for the holidays, and then you assess. What, how are things going, Jody? What do you hear? Most business people I talk to are increasingly optimistic. We saw a little drop in the fall, and we survey every other month uh, our area CEOs. And the last one that came back showed a noticeable jump in optimism. I talked to someone today who does a lot of business retention visits, so goes out and visits existing businesses and and surveys them kind of about their um, landscape and how things are going, what more they could use. And the majority of those visits resulted in the business in recent years saying that uh, if there were a change in federal tax policy, that it would create a pretty immediate and significant impact. So while we don't know exactly what that will be, we do know that it looks like there will be something. And I yeah. think... deal. It looks like they have a deal. Yeah, businesses are, are pretty excited about what that might mean. So what that means for us in a larger market sense remains to be seen. Does it mean wages go up? Does it mean hiring goes up? New equipment purchases, building expansions, maybe a combination of everything, but all good, all positive activity. Uh, lots of projects in the pipeline that have not permitted yet that will next year for sure. Certainly a lot of demand for housing, and that's always a good indicator. Yeah. If, if, construct, if the housing industry is busy, everybody's busy, If anything, right? housing is tight. I mean, that we could is. use more supply in certain ranges for sure. Absolutely. We are not overbuilt. Uh, Jody Schwan, Siouxfalls.Business, getting us up to date on all different kinds of stuff. Thanks for coming in, Jody. We'll, after the first of the year, probably we'll have you back, and we'll, we'll kind of look forward. We'll How's look that ahead. Sound? That yes. sounds great. Absolutely. This is the Patrick Lally Show on Information 1000 KSOO. Four fifty-seven on the Patrick Lally Show. Information 1000 KSOO. And it's Radio Clash, so it means we're coming to the end of the day. But first, I want to remind all of you good people out there about Christmas at the Cathedral. That's coming up Thursday. That's tomorrow. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Christmas at the Cathedral, up on the hill, all four nights, 7.30 p.m. plus a 1 p.m. performance on Saturday and 2 p.m. on Sunday. Proceeds will benefit the Bishop Deadly House and the Cathedral of St. Joseph. Ongoing care and maintenance endowments. Go to ccfesd for more information, .org, sorry. Or just Google it, Cathedral, you know, Christmas at the Cathedral, Sioux Falls. Boom, it'll pop right up there for you and you can see all the cool stuff. Hey, coming up on the show tomorrow... You know who is on the show tomorrow? I don't remember who's on the show tomorrow. It's Thursday, so the Smart Cyclist is on. I know that. That's always fun. We'll talk about the riddle box. He and I wrote it together. Good times. Good times, people. This is the Patrick Lally Show on Information 1000 KSOO.